The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9.45 or 11.30 a.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. Stories from grandparents are great for so many reasons. One reason is because they're describing a time in, in history of a generation or two generations before us that it's, it's interesting for us to remember. It's also usually a story that's very important to them. It's a story that they've shared over and over. And also, sometimes stories from grandparents are amusing because they've told them to us over and over, and I'm not sure, my, at least my grandfather, I'm not sure he knew how often he had shared some of these stories to me, or uh, maybe he didn't care, I don't know, maybe some combination. But there was one story in particular that my grandfather would share. This was, it had to be the most important story from his life, and he would share this story uh, every time he visited, he would tell the story, and he would tell it just like none of us had ever heard it before. And it was always this kind of funny moment. We would all be laughing as he's telling the story for all different reasons because it's it's an interesting story, but he would tell the story. His name was Glenn Johnson, and when he was a a couple years old, this is in the 20s, he lived in uh, Wisconsin. His father was a pastor. Meanwhile, my grandmother, who was also just a couple years old, maybe four or five, she's living in China. Her parents were missionaries, and they're living on opposite sides of the globe from each other. And... um, my grandfather tells the story. He, he was like maybe five years old, and there was a special service at his father's church, at his church. They were doing a special service, so they invited a somewhat famous evangelist to come share. This was an older man at this time, is the man by the name of R.A. Torrey. He invited this man to, to preach at this special service for uh, this, their church. And my grandfather says, I remember I was sitting up there. My dad introduces this older man. And as I was sitting up there in the, in the balcony, I, I can still remember hearing him preach. And, and me and my friends had gone up in the balcony and we were just going to goof off, but we were all just riveted by this man's message. And then he shares how his father brings this man to their home, this, this somewhat well-known evangelist. They bring this man into their home, and he was so kind of intimidated that this man is here in his home. And he says he'll, he'll never forget that this older man, Dr. Tory, looked at this picture, and it's a picture of my grandfather's family, my, my great-grandparents and my grandfather, and he pointed to my grandfather, and he always told us he had great pride in this moment. And this famous evangelist looks at him and says, Man, you've got a a nice-looking boy there. He's a good-looking guy. My grandfather was always so proud that this guy had said this about him. But here's what makes the story, and all of us in the family knew this, here's what makes the story so interesting. This evangelist didn't know that my grandfather, the boy that he had just complimented, would grow up and meet this evangelist's granddaughter in college and get married. So this is what's kind of weird about this story. My great-grandfather, my grandfather's father, my great-grandfather is hosting my great-great-grandfather in his home before my grandparents ever met, 20, 30 years before they ever met. Now, if you're totally confused now about my heritage, (laughs) that's okay. The point is, that's not the point. The point is this. He loved telling that story. He would tell it 
Every single time, if we had some new, new over, he would tell the story to a friend, and every time it would play off the same way. He'd tell that story, and the person who's hearing it for the first time would always laugh because, wow, that's a, what an interesting story. What a small world in that, that moment had happened. He'd always say, man, what an interesting story. He would laugh. But my grandmother would laugh too, but a completely different type of laughter. She would put her hand to her head, She'd shake her head in disbelief that he's yet again telling the story. Then the rest of us would laugh watching my grandmother laughing at him. And it's this moment that all of us in the family, we've all had moments like that with my grandparents and always remember this story. Now here's the thing about that kind of story in a grandparent's life. He had told that story thousands of times. It wasn't like someone who had just had an experience and they're trying to get the story out. You felt this before. You're like, man, I, you wouldn't believe what I saw. I saw this and then, and then this happened and then this happened. Well, actually, I have to backtrack because this happened first. It's not like that with a grandparent story. This story they've told so many times. It's a part of them. The story is polished. This story, it's like a, it's like a well-worn piece of furniture, a nice antique. It's polished. The right details are in, the right details are out, maybe even some details are embellished a little bit, maybe, but it's got all the right details, they know exactly, they could do it in their sleep, they've told the story so many times. The story we're going to look at from Grandpa Abraham's life is one of those stories. It had to be one of the episodes from his life that he told thousands of times. He, he knew this one. This was one of the stories that made him who he is. He told this story over and over. So here's the scene I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine we're all sitting around the campfire with Grandpa Abraham. It's a crackling fire in between. He leans back in his chair. The chair creaks a little bit, and he starts into a story that maybe we've all heard before, but we listen anyway because it's a good one. It's one of the most important ones in his life. Now, here's the reality this is a story that has literally been preserved for around 4,000 years. It's been preserved for us, specifically what we believe God speaks through the Bible. God has preserved this story. He wants to speak through this into our lives. And here's the other interesting thing. God knows our stories. We came in today with our stories, and he's going to share this ancient story, and it's going to intersect with our lives. And it actually, whatever we're going through right now, this can transform us and draw us closer to God with this powerful, powerful episode from Abraham's life. So if you would open with me in your Bibles or your Bible app to Genesis chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible with you, um, there's, we're going to have it up here on the screens as well. It's also in your bulletins, uh, Genesis chapter 18. 18, we're going to start in verse 1. This is what it says. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Okay, there's a lot in these first three verses. Let's just put the pause button on and unpack this a little bit. Verse 1 is like a summary of what's about to happen. It says, the Lord met up with Abraham. And this is talking about God. God shows up to talk to Abraham. 
It says that Abraham, and then it says, okay, here's what happened essentially. Abraham is sitting at the, the door of his tent. Now you can imagine, this, it says it's in the heat of the day, okay? There's no air-conditioned tents at this point. He doesn't have an oscillating fan cooling him off in the tent. It's hot and stuffy in there, so he's sitting at the doorstep of this tent. And then it says three men appear to him. Now this is a couple details in here. He says he runs to meet them. In this culture, for a man of Abraham's age, he's an older man and of his stature, would never run like this. That would be very humiliating. The fact that he is running is a big deal if we're reading this from, as, from the perspective of the original culture. He's kind of embarrassing himself and running to meet these guys. Then it says he bows down. Okay, these are obviously a big deal. And then it says this, and this kind of all ties together to make this an extremely interesting part of the Bible. Abraham says, my Lord. He says, oh Lord. He's using the word Lord. That word is referring to God. And he says, please, don't, don't pass by before you, know, you can come in and I'll host you. And you're going to see Abraham's about to have like a little freak out session here in a second, Okay. He's about to really freak out, and we're going to see why. Let's put these pieces together. God is appearing to Abraham. It's three men that show up, and Abraham refers to one of them as Lord, as God. What does this mean? It's God in the flesh. It's God in the, uh, his presence in the person of a man. He's embodied as a man. Wait a minute, what does that mean? That means the Son of God, Jesus, is one of these men. And we find out later, from if we kept reading, we'll look at this a little bit next week, we find out the other two people with him are angels. You have Jesus there thousands of years before he's born in Bethlehem with two angels. You say, okay, man, that is, I'm not even sure where I'm at with God. I'm that, I just, I can't, I can't go there. That's just, that's too much. Okay, which is, that's crazy, it sounds crazy. But just understand, just appreciate what the Bible's presenting here. The person of Jesus is God in the flesh, is God entering in his creation. He's not just a man, he's not just a teacher. He is the son of God. In other words, God in the flesh. And because he's God, he's always existed. And so what this passage is saying is he actually shows up to talk to Abraham. All right, now just hold on to that thought. Here's what we know from this text. Abraham realizes in some capacity, we don't know how, we can only speculate, but he realizes who he is, runs to meet him, he bows down, he calls him Lord. Now watch this, look what happens next. Let's read verse 3 again. And said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Now look what he says, let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourself and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. Now watch what happens. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And then Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that they had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. All right, this is a classic example of under promise over deliver. 
He says, okay, you know, man, I'm so honored that you're here. Why don't you just wait here? We'll bring out a little bit of water. You can refresh yourself. I've got like a morsel of bread back there I could find. Then he runs in and he tells Sarah, he says, quick, I want you to take three C's of flour and make some cakes. Okay, how much is three C's of flour? I did some culinary research for you, okay? This is enough flour, okay, to make 28 loaves of bread. So I want you to imagine, this is the scene. Okay, he's not just setting out like probably 28 of the same loaves of bread. He wants this whole display of all different kinds of cakes and all different kinds of pieces of bread and rolls and all kinds of stuff. It's just, it's a spread that he's bringing out. Then he brings the, the fatted calf. He makes this meal. I mean, he lays out a feast. This is probably the, the greatest meal he could conceive of, and he brings it out to them. Okay, now why are we telling all these details? Why did Grandpa Abraham, after all this time, why does he preserve these details? How much flour they used. There's so much we don't know, but we know how much flour they used. Why are all these details there? He wants us to know, this is important, he knew who this was. Sarah knew who this was. Because there's all this hoopla happening for this person. Okay, let's keep going. Let's uh, look at verse 9. They said to him, Where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now look at verse 11. And Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Okay, let's see what's happening. Sarah is listening at the tent door, which you can imagine. They're having this little powwow. Sarah's listening at the tent door. Okay, what are they talking about? Why, why are they here? And the Lord speaks up and he says to Abraham, he says, this time next year, you will have a son. Now, why is this a life-changing moment for Abraham and Sarah? Why is this so important? Let's backtrack a little bit. When Abraham, the beginning of the story of Abraham that we have, Abraham is living in a city by the name of Ur. And God said, okay, Abraham, he speaks to Abraham. He says, I've got a plan for you. You need to pick up, leave your family, leave your home, leave your friends, leave your tribe. You need to leave all of that, and you need to go to a land that I'm going to tell you, and here's why. Because your descendants, you're going to have so many children, you're going to have so many descendants, they're going to be so powerful and influential. It says they will bless every family in the world. It's a pretty big promise. But here was the incredible catch. Here was the difficult part for Abraham and Sarah. They had not been able to have any children. So there's this promise. You can imagine, man, how over the year after year, month after month, I mean, it had been decades, this promise. Okay, he promised us that we'd have all these descendants. And just when they'd lose faith, God would re-promise again. Look at the stars in the sky. Your descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky. If you could count all the stars, you can't. They're innumerable. Same with your children. Man, we don't have any children yet, and they're just waiting, and they're waiting. You can imagine how difficult this process is. And then one day, they show up. God shows up. And he says to Abraham, okay, waiting is over. It's time. This year, it's going to happen. Sarah's listening at the tent. Now, the narrator is so good because it tells us, it reminds us about where they're at. 
they're older. It says the way of women has passed with Sarah. She's biologically no longer capable of having children, and we actually know how old they are. Sarah is 89 years old, and Abraham is 99 years old. They know who's speaking. He says, all right, it's going to happen this year. Let's see what happens next. Look at verse 12. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? She laughs, she laughs, but she laughs to herself. That's important. She's just, you know, she, they don't hear like cackling in the, in the tent, okay? <laughs> she laughs to herself, and she says, after all this time, I'll have the joy of a child. 89 years old, I'll have the joy of a child. She laughs to herself. Now, there's different kinds of laughter, okay? There's all different kinds of laughter, and we see different kinds of laughter. Probably the best place to see that is when a prank happens, okay? Lots of people are laughing, different types of laughter. A couple weeks ago, I had just gotten back from uh, vacation, taking some time off with Rebecca, and um, I had, uh, hadn't been to the office yet. I had met up with Pastor Matt. We are kind of getting caught up with, with what's going on. And by the way, I'm not even sure Pastor Matt's a real pastor after this, okay? It's just, <laughs> I say, uh, Pastor, we're talking, and, and uh, Matt says, hey, man, by the way, someone donated this beautiful computer monitor. I mean, it is humongous. It is state-of-the-art, this beautiful computer monitor. And we just, we thought your office would be the best place for this monitor. And so we set it up for you. It's all ready to go by the time you walk in. I mean, you're, you're going to be blown away. It, it, it's, it's a thing of beauty. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, wow, I mean, I, I, they love me, okay? I can't believe they would do that. And I, I'm driving away from me with Matt, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This, that's, that sounds too good to be true. I, I, that can't be. I walk into my office, and they have hoisted onto my desk one of those rear projection TVs. Do you know what I'm talking about? They weigh about 175 pounds. It's five-foot television, okay? It's, I'm not talking like one of these flat panel, like, I'm talking like from the mid-90s. It's about four feet deep, okay? Here's a picture of what I came into my office. Okay, look at this. Now, they hadn't lied. This is a fully operational monitor, okay? Now, the best part is if you, can, if you can picture Pastor Matt and Pastor Dan, they're so proud of themselves, okay? They're hysterically laughing. Dan is prop- propping himself on the desk. He's just so proud of himself, and they're laughing hysterically, okay? Now, my laughter is a little bit different. At first, it's like a ha-ha-ha, very funny, and a couple hours later, it became an evil maniacal laugh as I plotted my revenge, okay? There's all different kinds of laughter, okay? There's a belly laugh, there's a courtesy laugh, there's an evil laugh, okay? There's an LOL laugh over text message and you're not actually laughing, but you just do that, okay? There's all different kinds of laughter. Sarah hears God tell her the news they've been waiting for all their life and she laughs, But what kind of laughter was this? Was she laughing like, oh man, I've been waiting for this. What incredible news. This is, man, oh, I can't wait to debrief with Abraham after they leave. Can you believe it? Is this jumping up and down kind of laughter? 
Is it like a, what? That's silly. I can't, that's unbelievable. That is, that is impossible kind of laughter. Is it kind of, I mean, what kind of laughter is this? Okay, let's put ourselves, let's dig into the story. Enter into, into Sarah's perspective here for a second. Can you imagine how long she's waited for this? She gets told this. She's, they're already, they've struggled by not being able to have children together. This is the most unbelievable, unbelievably painful part of their life. She's in pain because of this. And then what probably at one point felt like, just why are you giving me this hope? It's just even more painful that you're giving me this hope. Abraham comes in and says, God told me we're going to have a son. And I wonder how Sarah just went up and down with this. And sometimes she's like believing in Abraham and praying, God, please, you've spoken to Abraham that you're going to give us a son. Would you give us this son? When is it going to happen? And I wonder if there are long seasons of digging in and, and really hoping and then I wonder if there's long seasons where she's like, are you sure you heard right? I mean, it's been years and nothing. I wonder if there are long seasons where she's like, Abraham, really, I, you're 100% you heard from God. Could you just misunderstood a little bit? And how many times Abraham said, no, Sarah, I, I, this, is, this is true. This is, I, I heard this from God. And then right when, when they're just about to lose hope, God reemphasizes the promise and Sarah digs in again. It's been years and years and now she digs in again. Okay, God, I'm trying. I'm trying to believe in you. I'm trying. And then we get to this point and we learn something about where Sarah's at. This isn't just some stranger. If it's some stranger that they don't know who it is, she'd be like, oh, not this again. Now I've got some crazy guys coming up. We're giving them this fancy meal, and he's telling us we're having a... Come on, please. She knows who it is. Grandpa Abraham takes great care to make sure we knew, we know that they knew who was speaking. God was saying to them, it will happen this year. And what's Sarah's response? Come on. She'd gotten to a place where her heart was saying to God, really? After all this time? I'm 89 years old, and now you want me to keep believing? See, this is the kind of laugh that comes from hurt. It comes from bitterness. It's a kind of laugh that comes from pain. It's a kind of laugh that it just comes from a heart that's hardened. It's a kind of laugh where she can look right at hearing God's words and say, I'm just, I'm kind of past that now. I'm over it. No. You're wanting me to go through this whole cycle again? I don't think I can do that. Let's see what happens. Verse 13. The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Uh Uh-oh. Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Listen to this, verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. About this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah, watch this, But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. Shouldn't have done that. He said, no, but you did laugh. 
Sarah laughs. Did she laugh out loud? She laughed to herself. Are you serious? Come on. The way I picture it, she just (laughs) walks off and all those bitter thoughts are going back through her mind. And then she hears the Lord say to Abraham, why did Sarah just laugh? She stops in her tracks. She walks carefully out of the tent door. said, why did Sarah laugh? It's just this beautiful phrase. Is anything too hard for the Lord? He says, I will come back next year. You will have a son. I will do it. And she says, no, no, I, I wasn't laughing. I tripped over something in the tent. I wasn't laughing at all. No, that's not what you heard. I wasn't laughing. And he said, you hear this, I, I imagine with gentleness, he says, no, but you did laugh. You did. You had that in your heart. Now, before we, we hear the end of the story, I, I just want you to notice a couple things in here. First of all, I want you to notice that when she gets called out, she's afraid. And this is important. She still has fear of the Lord. She hasn't rejected God. She's not an atheist. She's she's not like turned her back. She's not walked away from God. When God calls her out, she's afraid. She still has a fear of the Lord. But her heart's gotten hardened after all of this time, after all of this pain. Now, just let's think about this. It's not hard to relate to Sarah. Man, have you ever had a season where you're going through, maybe even trying to walk with the Lord and you're trying to dig in, you're trying to hope, but the season's difficult and it's long. And it's prayer after prayer, and it's hour after hour, it's day after day, week after week, it's month after month, it's year upon year, decade upon decade, and we're like, God, please. And then someone comes along and they try and encourage you and you're like, come on, man, I, I've gone down this road, I've heard it all, I've heard everything you can say to me, I've heard all the promises, I've listened to all the sermons I can, I've read all the passages, I've taught them in Bible studies, I know all of it, I, it's, just, it's just bouncing right off me at this point. I mean, it's not hard to to enter into where Sarah's at and be like, okay, I've been there. I've been in that season. See, this passage speaks to a particular group of us in this room. We could be at various different places. Some of you are here and you don't know where you stand with God. You're not sure what you believe. And if that's where you're at, I'm just glad that you're here. I admire that you came here asking questions maybe or just at least open. That's great. This passage is important because it will give you an insight into what a journey with God looks like and it may explain some hurting Christians you've seen before. You may be here and you're a new Christian and maybe just the last year or two, a couple years, maybe just recently got baptized here at West Pines or, or came to Christ here and, and this is one of those seasons where you're like, man, I'm on fire for God. God's just answering prayers and I, I'm sharing the gospel with anyone that I see. I'm inviting them to church and you're just on fire. This is an important passage because at some point you will struggle with this in your journey with, with Jesus. But here's who this passage is for. It's for those in here who have been walking with God for a long time. Five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 70 years. Maybe you can't remember really when it was because you've just always been walking with the Lord. You're just raised up understanding the gospel. This is for those who are seasoned, long time walking with the Lord. And at some point, our hearts got a little hardened. It got a little jaded because of a tough season with God. And there's a heat, an intensity, a passion, a fire that's kind of, gone out a little bit, and we've just thinking that that's normal. Well, what do you mean jaded? I, I'm not jaded. Well, there's, here's a couple signs that 
we might be struggling with that. Here's the first one. Maybe in your mind, you, you think about, when you think about your heart for God, you see a new believer's zeal, and you're just kind of like, oh, that's cute. They're on fire for God. They don't realize how hard this journey is. I mean, I know they're sharing the gospel and inviting anything that moves to church, and that's great. They'll get over it. As if that's something only for the spiritually immature. That might be a sign that our heart's a little hardened. Maybe a sign that our heart's a little hardened is what were once powerful truths are now just empty platitudes to us. Someone says, oh, but don't worry. I know you're going through a hard time, but, but God's with you. God's always there. He's got a plan. And at, there was one point where that would knock us over. But now we're like, man, go crochet that on a pillow, please, because that's, that's doing nothing for me right now. So there was a time when that was powerful. Man, that just got you right. He is with me. That's incredible. Almighty God's walking with me. But when we hear those now, those just bounce right off me. Maybe one is that, another one maybe, the, I have no brokenness over sin. I don't know the last time that I really wept over my sin. I really had much to confess. Man, I, I've been journeying with God for a long time. I've had quite a few victories over sin. I just don't know. There's not a whole lot left. I mean, I'm pretty good. You know, it's kind of this, almost like there's this holiness tenure that you achieve as a Christian, and there's not a whole lot to confess anymore. There's not a lot of business I need to do with God. I'm just kind of doing my thing and, and, and walking in the, the, the strengths that he's built, built in me and the character that he's built in me. But hold on a second, Christian. You realize the gospel that we know means that we've done enough this morning. If we were just judged on this morning, you and I, we've already done enough to deserve an eternity away from God in hell? Remember the, the song Amazing Grace? It says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say, I once was a wretch, but now I'm holy. I'm still a wretch. The only difference is I've been found. And I was blind, and now I see who's finding me. You say, I don't know, man, I don't think I'm like jaded. But maybe God is speaking back to you and saying, no, but you are. I don't have a hard heart. I mean, I still love God and everything. And and maybe Jesus is gently saying, no, but you do. You're saying I laugh at God. I don't laugh at God. And maybe he's gently saying, no, there is laughter in your heart. Look at what happens here at the, the end of the story. You have to jump over to, ver- to chapter 21. It's going to be up here on the screens. Look at how the story ends. It said, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who had been born to him whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Do you know what Isaac means? It means he laughs. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight years old, eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac had been born to him. And Sarah said, listen to this, God has made laughter for me. 
Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Sarah is holding her son. I want you to imagine she's laying in the tent. She's maybe got these blankets over her and they hand her the son. And Abraham comes in with a twinkle in his eye and says, Here's what I'm going to name him. Laughter. Because we both laughed at God when he said this would happen. And Sarah, realizing it, seeing the twinkle in his eye, now rimming with tears, her, her wrinkled face, there's tears streaming down her face. She just turned 90. And she's holding this baby, and she says very literally, God made laughter. He made laughter for me. And she says, and she says probably laughing deep down joy spilling out from her soul, the type of joy she hadn't felt in decades. And she says, and the people around me will laugh with me. They'll rejoice with me of this incredible gift. And thousands of years later, we laugh with them as we remember there's nothing that's impossible for God. See, if Grandpa Abraham were here, this is what he'd tell us. He'd say, God wants to turn your jaded heart into a joyous heart. He wants your snicker of sarcasm to turn into a belly laugh of joy. Christian, you're walking with the Lord as your heart hardened. You say, okay, how, how did my heart get hardened? How did, where did I go from, from my joy? How did my joy turn into this? I once was on fire. I was in passion. Now I'm going through the motions or I've walked away or I'm struggling to know where I believe. How did my heart get here? Well, here's one of the problems. Sarah struggled to believe in the promises of God. And sometimes, Christian, it doesn't matter how many verses you've memorized, how many Bible stories you've heard, how many Bible lessons you've taught. Sometimes, we don't understand God's promises and sometimes we, take, we, we think that there are verses in the Bible that aren't really there. Can I just share a couple with you? A couple verses we think are in the Bible that are not really there. Let me show you. Here's this first one. It says this. We believe this is the verse. All things work together for good according to our preferred timing. <laughs> we see Romans 8.28. Oh, I know that one. That's right. I, all things work together for good, brother. Oh, well, thanks. That's helpful. That, that's not how the verse goes. It doesn't say it happens for good right when we want it to. This is how the verse actually goes. Look, all things work together for good according to, what does that say? It's his purpose. He's saying something so much bigger. He's saying, I'm not here to just make your plans happen. He's saying, I've got a plan that I will work. It is my goal. It's bigger than you. It's a rescue mission for the entire world, but it includes you, and here's the incredible thing. I have, God says, I'm so wise, I can pull this together that it will actually work together for your good also. But sometimes we're like, God, I thought you were going to work everything for good for me. I thought you were going to do everything for me, pull this together at the right time. We're like, God, where are you? We think that that's what he promised. That's not what he promised. He will work it together for good, but it will be in his timing. Here's another one sometimes we think. It's this one. And the peaceful circumstances which surpass all understanding will guard you. That's not what it says. God doesn't promise us to go through peaceful circumstances. Actually, this is what the verse says. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. Do you know what he actually promised? You know what Jesus actually promised us, his followers? He says, I'm sending you out like lambs, innocent lambs to the slaughter. He says, you will face trials. In fact, one place in the Bible says, why are you acting like something strange is happening to you? 
when you face trials of many kinds. He says, you will face trials. You will have painful circumstances. You will go through hard times. I'm stretching you. I'm working this together. But what I promise is in the midst of those circumstances, I will give you peace and it will guard your hearts and your minds. You will find the peace of God in the midst of your trials. Here's another one. But with temptation, he will also provide a convenient way of escape. We say, oh God, I don't know about this circumstance. I'm being really tempted. And on one hand, I've got, I've, I'm tempted to do this sin. I mean, it'd be really convenient. But how am I supposed to get out? I can't do this. I mean, I certainly couldn't do that. That would be too costly. That would be too embarrassing. That would be too awkward. I couldn't do that. So I guess my only options is to fall into this sin. That actually must be a sign from you that I'm supposed to do this sin. That's not what it says. This is what the passage actually says. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. He will provide a way. It may not be convenient. It may not be comfortable. He will provide a way out. It may be a way that's great sacrifice to you and to us. And we may have to say, God, I'm that committed to doing things your way. That I'm going to take this way out. Here's another one. Christians will not leave you or forsake you. That's not in the Bible. Serious moment here? This is what hardens a lot of hearts. I go to the church. It's supposed to be a safe place. But man, as long as I go as a Christian, I look at other Christians and I learn what Christians are capable of. I've been through some painful experiences in the church. I've been through painful experiences from other Christians. But that's not the promise. This is the promise. He will not leave you or forsake you. We're fallen. We're sinful. We're going to hurt each other. And that's why over and over the scripture says, have grace on each other, love one another, be patient with one another, bear, bear with one another, and know that he will never leave you for, or forsake you. Can I give you one more? And this may be the one that's, that hardens hearts the fastest. Here's a verse that's not in the Bible. Fix your eyes on a pastor the author and perfecter of our faith. You know, one of the most painful things for a Christian to go through is someone that they look up to, they respect. And all of a sudden, they do something to really hurt you. They fall. They mess up. They do some egregious sin. They have an affair. They get entangled with money. They, they are, have poor leadership abilities, something happens. Maybe it's someone that you knew. Maybe it's someone who led you to Christ. Maybe it's someone that you've sat under their teaching and they, they trained you what it means to be a Christian and you just look to that person and, and you say, man, all right, I'm just, you know, that person always knows what to do and I fix my eyes on that person. And maybe it's someone from afar. I read all of her Bible studies. I read all of his books. I listen to all of his sermons and all of a sudden you hear something and all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, if he can't do it, how am I supposed to do it? And one of the things that hardens a Christian's heart the fastest is when we go through that. But you know, that's not what the verse says. It says this. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. No human is the author of your faith. Jesus drew you to himself. No human is the perfecter of your faith. It's God working in you to draw you to himself. Every other human is flawed and sinful. And every time someone we admire or look up to and they mess up, it only reinforces the gospel we know that we all need Jesus. Every one of us. 
We are all together looking up to Jesus saying, God, I need your grace today. And we're just fixing our eyes together on you, Jesus. Christian, has this been a long journey? This morning you say, I have a hard heart. Tell me what to do. Well, can I give you a couple things? First thing is, what is it that brought Sarah that joy? It was the promised son. In, in the book of Revelation, there's a church called uh, the Church of Ephesus, and, and this is what Jesus says to this church. He says, man, you guys are great. You, you understand so much in the Bible, but here's the one problem you've got. You've lost your first love. You don't have it anymore. And he says, go back to what you did at first. Christian, it doesn't matter if you've heard the gospel thousands of times over the course of decades, what you and I need to soften our hardened hearts is to go back to the promised son, Jesus, and realize, God, you sent Jesus to save me. We've got to go back to that, and we've got to revel in it. Just a practical thing inside your bulletin, you'll find there's a QR code for a book that um, we recommend if you've been journeying with the Lord and you want to be stirred back up in your understanding of the gospel. It's a book called The Prodigal God. If you've never read that and you're on a journey with God, you can, you can click on that UR code, you can scan that, or you can go back to our resource center and find that. It's a book that will stir up your heart. But Christian, have you been, have you been walking with a jaded heart long enough? Can you let him melt your heart to a joyous heart tonight, today? Soften your heart. How? By the promised son. That where you and I stand right now, we deserve an eternity away from God, but he sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins. And he rose again from the dead so that we could have life for eternity. Let's let that amaze us again this morning. There's an old story of, um, of a man, he's a wealthy man, and he uh, collected art. And he was kind of an eccentric guy. He didn't have family. He had had a son, but his son had passed away. And he collected art. And I'm talking like art from artists that you, we've heard of, okay? I'm talking like real art. We're talking like Rembrandts and Picassos and just all kind of diverse different artists that are famous. And one day um, he got sick and some of the art community hear that, oh man, this guy's uh, getting sick. Is his art collection going to be auctioned? I mean, what's going to happen? And they're kind of just waiting to see what happens and the man passes away. And so there's this art collection that is up for auction. And so they're all there. I mean, this has been in the art community, this has been the moment of, I mean, of the decade. They're all waiting to see all these masterpieces come out and, and they want to try and, and get some of these for their clients or their galleries. And so they're waiting and they see, they all sit down anxiously and they see that there's a painting up there and it's, it's already got a, a blanket over it and they're waiting to see what's going to be auctioned first. And, and uh, casually, the, it's, it's, it's happening right in the living room of this man's estate, this large palatial house. And this man walks up, he's the auctioneer, and he, he pulls off the sheet, and they're all looking at it, and they're looking, they don't recognize it, they're looking back and forth, and he says, okay, the first painting to be auctioned today is this portrait, and they're all kind of looking confused, they've never seen that before, I mean, these are art experts, and he says, this is a picture, actually, that was painted of his son, and this was the man's favorite painting, and so they're all like, okay, you know, that's fine, he says, let's start off the bidding, he says, uh, we'll start at a thousand dollars, and they're all just kind of anxiously, kind of no one's saying anything. They're just kind of like, okay, let's move this along. And it's $1,000. Anyone for $1,000 says, now people, this is his, his whole collection. This is his favorite painting. And they're like, 
Okay, it's a thousand dollars. Okay, let's go five hundred. Who will take five hundred for this picture of the sun? He says five hundred, and finally he's just waiting and waiting and waiting, and it's time has gone by, and finally just someone's like, "Man, just move along. Nobody wants this painting." And he says, "No, the sun. Who's going to take this picture of the sun?" And he keeps getting more urgent. They're starting to get rowdy, and finally, like, "Please, just just move on." And someone from the back raises his hand. He's kind of awkwardly, and they look back. It's a man. He's not dressed very well, but he's a man that had worked on the estate of the older man that had passed away. He was the gardener. He says, I'll, I'll take the painting of the sun. He says, okay, sold to the man in the back. The auctioneer lays down the gavel, hands the painting to the sun, and he starts to walk off. And there's an uproar. What are you doing? Bring out the masters. Bring out the masterpieces. And he says, there's a stipulation in the will that whoever gets the sun gets everything. You know that's God's stipulation for humanity? Whoever gets the Son gets everything. It's about one thing. It's about Jesus. Christian, you've journeyed for a long time. It's still about one thing. It's about Jesus. He died on the cross for your sins. It's not more complex than that. Run back to it. Savor it. Beat it into your hard heart and let God melt down your heart. New Christian, the thing that's lighting you up now, this passion for Jesus, it's still about Jesus. It's always going to be about Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning, you're saying, I don't know where I stand with God. I can bring it all into focus. It comes down to one moment. It's not about living holy. It's not about acting religious. It's about one thing. It's about his son, Jesus, and what you do with Jesus Christ. It's that you and I deserve an eternity away from God, but God sent his son, Jesus. He paid the penalty for our sin that we deserved. And he says, if anyone just says, yes, I accept that gift of the Son, I accept that Jesus died for me. If you accept that gift, you'll have eternal life. It's that simple. It's just a matter of accepting the Son this morning. You may be here saying, I want to do that. How do I do that? You can do it right now. Let me just lead you in a prayer. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If that's you, let me just lead you in this simple prayer this morning. God, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Make these words your own. Say, God, I, I know that I don't deserve your love. I know I don't deserve salvation because I, I'm, I've not followed after you. I, I deserve an eternity away from you. But thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Jesus, I want to spend my life following you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call us at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.